Hey guys, good morning. We are doing our annual camp out at Lincoln State Park and it is a blast. So I appreciate you guys letting me be remote this weekend. Um, it looks like the Vandenberg County is having a bigger coronavirus outbreak than ever before. So it's probably appropriate that we're remote this weekend anyway, right? Well, this week we are in Matthew 24, and I was telling my family about it. And I was like, guys, this is this is like Jesus preaching the gospel and preaching from the book of Daniel and preaching from the book of Revelation and preaching through the prophets. It's all happening. It's all happening together in Matthew 24. So remember, this is Holy Week. This is the week the uh, triumphal entry has already happened. And they are, uh, you know, in Jerusalem. And they're going out to Bethany every evening, every night, probably staying at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, just because they lived in Bethany. And that was a Sabbath day's walk to Jerusalem. So it's, it's really close. And, um, and so the disciples, this is Matthew Chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple, was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. They're like, Jesus, look at how big this is. This is huge. So what are we talking about? Okay, we're talking about a bunch of guys that are probably teenagers, except for Matthew and Peter that were older. The rest of them are probably teenagers, and they're probably from Galilee and had... Um, probably never been to Jerusalem. There were, it was very rare for a person to go more than two miles from their hometown, from their where they were born. Uh, these guys had been out on the lake on the Sea of Galilee because they were fishermen. But to go into the city of Jerusalem was a travel. And they had been there with Jesus before. Um, they had even been there with Jesus during festivals probably. But to really be in the temple and to really savor it for like the third time and maybe maybe less than 10 times in their life, um, they are just really amazed. The other thing you got to remember is that last, was it just last week? Maybe the week before? Jesus was talking about when the Pharisees make an offering and they swear by the, the altar. And the Pharisees would say that your oath taken when you swear by the, the altar or you swear by the temple, it doesn't count. It only counts if you give money. And then that turned into the money is what counts, not the temple. So money became more important than the temple did. And um, so Jesus has been criticizing the temple. And he said, you know, the temple is the thing that's holy. But at the same time, he said, you're going to tear this temple down in three days. I'll rebuild it. And that was a scandal for the Pharisees. Anyway, it took like 40 years to build the temple. Well, this temple was huge. It it was, um, you know, if you went to Washington, D.C. and visited Lincoln Memorial, like it's that kind of huge, only more huge. It's like the Capitol building kind of huge. There were uh, there were white marble stones and archaeologists have found some that were 40 feet long and weighed a hundred tons and it's kind of like the pyramids kind of thing they don't know how 
Maybe it's vanity. We don't know how they did this without modern equipment, but they did it somehow. So you have um, these giant stones, huge stones, and then they're covered in gold. So they're white marble and gold. And then the temple is on a mountaintop and the, the dirt has been excavated away all around it. So when you went from the lower city of Jerusalem up to the Temple Mount, or if you went from the valley down in Bethany up to the Temple Mount, you would climb a thousand, you'd make a thousand feet elevation change. And it, so it's just up there and it's visible and it's beautiful and it's huge. There were columns that were so big that they, the Josephus, the historian, says that three men going hand to hand around in a circle couldn't wrap around these columns. They were they were that big, and uh, so this is huge, and it's gold and it's white marble and it's just so expensive and so beautiful, and they're totally amazed. And Jesus says, "You see all these, don't you? I tell you the truth, there won't be." There will not be left here one stone upon another. Every stone is going to be thrown down. So was he speaking literally or was he speaking figuratively or poetically? Well, then as they go to the Mount of Olives, they sit down and it says the disciples asked him privately. So when he said he was out around people, he said, not one of these stones will be left on another. It's all going to be torn down. Then privately, they say, tell us when these things will come to be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age. So they're asking, when's it all going to be over? When's the end of the world going to come? When are you going to take over and reign the way you're supposed to, Jesus? He says, make sure that nobody leads you astray. That's his very first warning. Don't be led astray. There's going to be a lot of people coming in my name saying I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. You'll hear, oh, so let's talk about that first. So that would be crazy for somebody to come and say, I'm Jesus. And that happens every once in a while. And they usually run off and, it's, and it ends terribly, right? Um, even slipperier than someone saying, I'm Jesus, follow me, is somebody saying, I can solve everything. I can fix everything. Or I'm the chosen one for this to, to do all the good and, and to solve all everybody's problems. Um, it's not just calling yourself Jesus. It's it's having there are people that come up that think that they you know they're going to invent the next best thing that's going to help everybody and solve everybody's problems and they're going to get rich. Um, there's numerous ways that we can give our heart away to somebody claiming that they can fix everything, right? Not just if somebody said that they're Jesus, we would Christians would know that is not Jesus. But there, there are other people getting sucked away by other people claiming things right throughout history. Throughout history, that's happened, and it'll continue to happen. Make sure you don't get led astray. You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, and the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are just the beginning. Did you hear what Jesus said about all that at the beginning? Do not be alarmed. 
Remember when the disciples were in the boat and they said, don't you care, Jesus? We're going to drown. He said, oh, you have little faith. Why were you afraid? Or when he appears to them after he's resurrected from the dead, they all think he's a ghost. And he says, don't be afraid. Give me some fish to eat. You got anything to eat? I'll show you. Well, even here, wars, earthquakes, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid of that stuff. These are just the beginning. We Something we've been saying a lot through this pandemic is we've been talking about it at our house. God has carried his church through a lot worse things than this. God has carried his church through so many things. We don't need to panic. We don't be need to be anxious. We don't need to, to be depressed or down. God's with us and he's carrying us through what, whatever the circumstance. He's been carrying his church through stuff. He's been close to his church for centuries. Don't be alarmed. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So Jesus is saying this is going to happen. So, we don't even need to get mad when persecution and tribulation, if this ever happens in our lifetime, which I'm, I don't think it is, I'm not, um, there are some Christians that think that everybody's out to get us and woe is me and we're the martyr for everything and, and the world hates us. And um, it is true that the world hates us. Jesus promised that. But um, that's a way of life. That's normal. That's not anything to moan and groan about. Um, we can still rejoice because Jesus is what they're treating us just like they treated Jesus. So rejoice. So if we know we're going to be delivered up to tribulation, put to death, you'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. We don't have any place to complain when we're persecuted. We don't have any, any room to stand on or any scriptural backing to stand on to complain about when we're treated bad because we're Christians. Isn't that wild? That's what the Bible says, you guys. Wow. Like, we can have joy and we can live, live the Christian life and when persecution comes, not be sad and not grumble about it because that's normal. There's a guy named Witch, Rich, Richard Wormbrandt. No, Richard Wormbrandt. And um, he founded the Voice of the Martyrs. And he was in prison um, I think in Siberia, in Siberia and Russia, and he was in prison and the, the guards said, if you preach to the other prisoners, we're going to beat you. And he said, okay, can I actually preach to the prisoners? And they said, if you do, we'll beat you. And he's like, okay, that's fine. But can I preach to them? And they're like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so he, they gave him like numerous times to get all the prisoners together and he would preach to all of them and then they'd haul him off into a room and just beat him and torture him and and uh, do all these horrible wicked things to him and he was it, he didn't care because he was glad that he got to preach to these prisoners how who was going to preach to these prisoners who's going to tell them about Jesus's love and show it to them but in the way that those guards would beat him he got to show exactly what happened to Jesus to everybody and the guard. There were guards that became Christians. There were guards that would weep 
as they beat him because they didn't have the guts to stand up to their boss. Like they were afraid of being beaten if they were found out that they were Christian, but they so didn't want to beat him because they believed in Jesus and they knew that it was unjust. And uh, what an impact. Why? Because he believed what the Bible said, that don't you're, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be beat. You're going to be turned over. You're going to be put to death. And that's just part of the Christian life. Yes. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Why? Because they don't want that to be the part of the Christian life. There are a lot of people that want the Christian life to be happy times and uh, bread pudding with chocolate syrup and just absolute yumminess and pleasure. And that's what the world offers. Um, Jesus offers perfection and total fulfillment in heaven and as the kingdom advances. But Jesus also offers persecution. It's going to happen. And here it is. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another because they don't want to go through that. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. I mean, is not that happening? The, the Jesus plus pleasure, and Jesus plus riches, Jesus plus getting whatever you want. This is leading people astray. And because of lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. The people will actually love their neighbors less in the name of in the name of their religion that they would. Um, their love would grow cold and they would try to stick up for their own rights and they would try to stick up for their own accomplishments and their own benefit and their own pleasures and call it part of their religion. How could that happen? That is happening right now. It happens all over the place. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. doesn't mean it's over for you it doesn't mean that all hope is lost it doesn't mean just because you're persecuted just because all these bad things that people are even going to die endure don't give up and salvation will come and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come now there are some people that read that that think it means that you can reverse engineer it and that we can make the end of the world come sooner if we hurry up and go be missionaries and tell everybody and tell the whole world. And um, it's good to go tell the whole world, but don't think that you manipulate God into coming back sooner by doing that. Um, God's the one that controls the timing. But definitely, let's go. Let's be. Let's let's be part of that fulfillment. That the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world so now 15 let me get my page turned here verse 15 starts to change and from about 15 to uh, 31 is this other type of prophecy so jesus is saying you know it's gonna be really hard there's gonna be a whole don't be so excited about the end of the world you guys it's gonna be hard and a bunch of people are going to fall away. And it's really going to show 
who's living purely for Jesus and who's kind of trying to have Jesus plus the world. So don't be too excited about the end of the world. But then this next prophecy, remember when we studied the prophets, the prophets would say something that applied to their own time, and then it would apply to Jesus's life, and then it would apply to the end of the world. So what do you get when Jesus talks about the end of the world? Well, you get the same thing, something current in his time, and then the end of the world, right? So when you see the abomination, this is verse 15, of desolation spoken of by Daniel in the holy place, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his clothes. He's basically saying, when you see the horrible things happening in Jerusalem that are about to happen, just run. Don't go back to get anything. Don't gather up any of your possessions. Just flee and get out of here and head for the mountains. He says a whole bunch of stuff about how horrible it's going to be. It's going to be harder for nursing mothers. It's going to be hard for hope that it doesn't happen during the winter. Just really practical stuff about how awful and terrible it's going to be. Um, he says if the days wouldn't have stopped, those days would be so horrible that nobody would survive. Um, but they will survive just out of God's mercy. And down at the end it says... Um, Verse 27, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the, sun, the coming of the Son of Man. That whole scene all happened in AD 70. And the Romans were finally fed up with the various little rebellions from the Jews. And they destroyed the temple. And they came in with the Roman army. And a million people in Jerusalem were killed. That's what Josephus, the historian, a million people died. Um, they laid siege to the city, so people were starving to death and uh, dying of famine and dying of disease because they couldn't get any food. And then finally the Romans came and destroyed the temple. And remember those 40-foot-long white marble blocks and the gold all over them? They were all, not one was left standing on another. They were all knocked over. Uh, the temple was burned with with so much fire that the gold melted and pooled up at the bottom and ran out of the temple like liquid, like molten lava was, or molten molten lava, molten gold was flowing out. Um, they just destroyed it so so bad, and many people died. But there's one historian I read, and I I can't verify it with anybody else, but they said that. Um, no, no Christians died in that siege because of this prophecy by Jesus. So they remembered that Jesus said, as soon as this happens, just flee, leave everything and go. And um, this historian said that that's what they did. They fled and that no, no um, Christian Jewish people, right? Because everybody that lived in Jerusalem was considered Jewish, that no Christians died <clears throat> in this terrible siege. And that maybe it, um, some people think that the book of Hebrews was written to those survivors, which is pretty wild. Um, either way, the day of judgment is going to be terrible. It's going to destroy everything. 
any, anything that anybody put their hope in that's not Jesus is going to be destroyed. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Oh, now this is really good. Immediately after those days, Jesus talks about a bunch of events. And all of nature and all of creation is going to be messed up and, and upside down and terrible. And it's really important to remember how the Hebrews were and how people spoke. And they spoke in flowery, poetic language compared to us. And a lot of people like to read this like it's a science report. And they like to read this like it's a play-by-play -play of linear order of, you know, uh, let's prove from the Bible why, why the earth is round kind of thing. Okay, it's not that. Um, this is all symbolism and poetry to move your emotions to realize the greatness of God and the, and the horror of the day of the Lord. Does that make sense? So, not literal. Read this as poetry to move you, to, to, uh, to scare you to shock you, to move you to, to follow Jesus. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, one from one end of heaven to the other. So there's, remember the sun and the moon were all created, um, I think the second or third day of creation. And um, they were created, and then they were created to give light during the day and light at night. And so that would help people live. They were, they were given to help people live, right? They're taken away. They are reversed. And so the whole creation is being unmade. It's being, it's being taken apart. The stars will fall from the heavens. Now there's some places in the scripture when God made the stars in the sky, he's filling this beautiful sky with the stars. There's also where the stars are angels. And in Isaiah, he talks about the stars and he calls them by name to do his will, to do his bidding. And then all of a sudden it's talking about angels. And Isaiah would flip back and forth from stars, angels, stars, angels. So when it says all the stars are going to be taken away, it's, can you imagine all of the angels that worship God, a third of which... A third of the angels are in rebellion against God. They are all removed from the earth. They're all taken away. They all fall. They're all taken out of their positions. That's complex, right? And then the, all, the, the, all the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Powers of the heavens, right? We're not... We're not talking about sun and moon anymore. We're talking about angelic spirit things. All of that will be shaken. And then the Son of Man, the sign of the Son of Man, whatever that is, will appear to everyone at once. And so 
in some way, it's not like it's going to be up in the sky and we're going to be able to see it because then everybody in Australia won't be able to see it, right? It's something that's going to be visible to everyone. And I don't mean everybody's going to look at it and it's going to be on the internet and uh, everybody's screen will be able to see it. It's even more than that. It's a way that globally everyone will know and believe and see. Just as, as sure as lightning happens in one place and shows up in another place, all over the place, the coming of the Son of Man will be visible and known. Wow. It says, learn from the fig tree. This is verse 32. As soon as its branch becomes tender, and puts out leaves, you know summer is near. When you see all these things, you know he is near at the very gates. I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Everything that people put their trust in that's not the word of God is going to pass away. So why in the world do Christians fight and divide and separate over any other thing? God's word says that we should be in unity. We fight and divide I've had people tell me not to make sports jokes about this team or that team before um, because it upset them so much. They were they were willing to divide because the sports team they liked. Come on, church. Uh, everything is going to pass away. Here we are in election season. Here we are. Three days ago, the, the president was um, tested positive for the coronavirus we had the debates monday night and that was just those guys were just yelling at each other they weren't honorable at all and jesus says heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away doesn't that make you want to read your bible more than ever doesn't that make you want to know what what are jesus's words if everything i see at lincoln state park or anywhere else is going to pass away except for Jesus's words don't I just want to spend as much time with those words as I can I do verse 36 concerning that day and hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven or the Sun so in the in the wild complexity of the Trinity that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Creator Father are one in being and in in their being that Jesus, the human man, would not know when the Father is going to cause the whole end of time. Isn't that wild? So Jesus willingly limited himself in a lot of ways, and some of it was not knowing everything. Wow. He says it's going to be terrible. It's going to be like the days of Noah. Everybody's eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. And all of a sudden it's going to happen. Completely unexpected. Two men will be in the field. One will be taking the other left. Two women will be uh, milling grain. And one taking the other left. Some of this, 
people think it might be the rapture where people just miraculously disappear. Um, I talked to a guy one time and, and he taught, and this was pretty compelling, that it was people are going to be taken away. You know how earlier Jesus said many are, are going to come and, and love is going to grow cold and people are going to be uh, taken away and fall away because of wickedness? That that's what this was talking about. There will be two people that were friends and one of them is going to fall away. One of them is going to be taken away by by these false teachings. It could be that. The, the teaching on the rapture, as far as church history goes, is really very young. And um, so when this was written, it, it probably didn't necessarily mean the miraculous disappearance of people's bodies. The whole section of this is about being diligent and staying on it. He says, if, know this, if the master of the house, this is verse 43, if the master of the house knew, had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. If you know somebody's going to rob you and you know what time they're coming, you know when to have the police arrive, right? Therefore, you must be ready. The son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He will come when we don't expect him. So every day, all the time, we want to be looking for him and celebrating him and seeking after him and never give up and never grow weary in waiting for him. When I was a kid, my cousins lived in Washington, Indiana, and they would come to town. And, you know, this is no cell phones or anything like that. And I'd be at my grandma's house and they'd be coming to my grandma's house. And all day long, I'd say, when are they coming? When are they coming? When are they coming? And eventually i think my grandma knew about what time they'd come she'd say let's go out front and wait for them and we would go out front and we'd sit on this little cast iron bench and she and i would count the cars until they came and i think we never got past 30. i think my grandma knew well enough um, how to how to keep me waiting and how not to keep me waiting and i do remember one time I went to the backyard for something or I went in the house to go to the bathroom for something, you know, and they came and it was such a surprise. And it was just like, oh, I didn't, I wasn't out in the yard to greet them, right? Jesus is going to show up and um, nobody's going to be expecting him. Nobody knows when. And we, we just still don't grow weary and waiting for him. Don't grow tired. Every day, I used to have a buddy, and he would pray every night before bed, Jesus, give us one more day to reach the lost. Give us one more day to preach your gospel so more people will be in your kingdom. And it's like, man, that guy, he was looking for, he was looking for the return of Jesus, but he knew why Jesus was waiting. He knew why the Father was delaying another day to build his kingdom more, to make his bride that much more beautiful. So Jesus says in the end, who is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the right time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing when he comes. He will set him over all his possessions. But the wicked servant says, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants, eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and he will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus ends it with a warning. 
He's like, don't curse your fellow servants. Don't beat your fellow servants. The other people that are following Jesus, don't put them down and curse them. Wow, church. There are Christian Democrats. There are Christian Republicans. There are Christian St. Louis fans. And there are Christian Cubs fans. There's a lot of other divisive things that we divide over, right? And Jesus says right here, that the one who's beating his fellow servants is going to get cut to pieces and thrown out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there it is, Matthew 24, a whole bunch of events to reveal and to show who is following Jesus and who is not. A bunch of warnings and pretty sober stuff about the sufferings that we're going to go through as Christians. Well, either way, I hope this encourages you, and I, I hope um, just as we read these things, we take them to heart and that we grow in him more than ever. God bless you.